it's hard not to play the comparison game, but it'd be like, okay, well, these other people can do this, or I used to be able to do this, even if it was unsustainable. And so really, really trying to lean into the fact that if I can't, I just can't. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about living with MS, mental health, the health and fitness industry, and much more. Our host, Monica, is joined by Marnie Bothamer, a fitness coach who lives with MS. Let's just do a quick introduction. My, my name is Marnie. I live in Omaha, Nebraska. But I am a personal trainer, fitness coach. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2018, ADHD, which is not a chronic illness, but in 2021, just a different way in how I perceive the world, I guess. First, I had a business coach. That was actually not first, but initially I was doing my own thing. I worked like a box gym. COVID definitely kind of inspired me to go off on my own a little bit. And then I worked with somebody to help. So that is helpful. I always say I feel like it's kind of necessary though, right? Like for being a neurodivergent and then also having a chronic illness, my wife does too. She owns her own business also. And I feel like we talk about that a lot where it's like working for yourself is obviously so hard, but I feel like businesses are not helpful to us at all. So it's like you're going to have to do your own thing to survive. I so hear that like working for someone else felt like this insane game I could never win. It didn't matter how good I was if I wasn't able to emotionally connect in the way that like that sort of surfacey, like small talk, make mm-hmm. everyone like you. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't about working well or nope. doing the good job. No, nope. I was like, okay, I'll run my own yep. business. Then I realized I never had worked harder in my life. I like no one was a meaner <laughs> boss than I was. Like, I always feel at least if it's not a bunch of small tasks that you hate, if I actually choose to do something I want and like to do, then it's not quite as bad. I felt like that until we got to taxes. I, I can handle just with everything in my old business except when we That's got to taxes. True. And my little brain is like, I'm an artist. You know how much I owe. Can we not play this game where yeah. I lose, they go to jail? So yeah. talk me through a little bit more because your job was far more physically intensive. You manage everything between like your medications mm-hmm. and ADD. It's a, it's definitely a balance. So again, I was diagnosed in 2018. I was super active and that was my hobby that I'd made my life out of like moving. I mean, I enjoy being strong. So that's usually my thing is I like lifting weights. But it was November 2018 and I was actually going up for like a barbell snatch. I was warming up, trying to take a bar, bringing it over my head and my arm just stopped stabilizing. Like my shoulder was, was all wonky and wiggly and I was like, maybe I just hold something in my back. Like, let me just kind of try and rub it out. And so I was like, okay, maybe I feel like I should play pinch a nerve. So I'll just do something else today. I went home and I was like, my arms feel so weird. Like my fine motor skills were weird. Like we lived in an apartment at the time, trying to like put a key into the door. I was like all shaky. And so I had my wife like try to rub it out. Like it didn't work. So I was kind of dealing with it for a few days. And then my eyes stopped tracking when I was like going this way. The other one was like kind of moving me weird. And I remember I was training a client and I was kind of making a joke of it because that's what I do. I feel like I'm having a stroke. So I was like, if I just look like I'm, you know, have a stroke, like, let me know. <laughs> it was like, this is not making me feel confident working with you. So I went and had, went to the doctor as what would. And I actually remember that my PCP at the time said something like, well, you know, I, I didn't initially think that maybe it was MS because my aunt has MS. And she was like, but I don't think it is because people with MS have dropped foot. Which is so odd and specific. I mean, they, they could, but it's not like this is the diagnostic criteria, you know? But so I went, I had an MRI. There's lesions on my brain, you have MS. I think so much of that initial processing was huge. It's like, okay, you have a job, you have a career, et cetera, in moving. And then what does that look like? You know, especially with the disease, it's just, you have no idea what it's going to look like. And then I would start getting on blogs and read it. And I'd have some people who were like, 
I went to Target the other day and I pooped my pants and I was like, oh my gosh, is that going to be my reality? I would put extra shorts in my bag going to work. I was just like this panic all the time. I feel like that flipped my mind on why I think movement is advantageous. Kind of how I approach it, especially I feel like with my clients or within myself. I didn't really answer your question about medications and managing that. I think a big thing for me, honestly, which is like still a journey is acknowledging I don't want to use the word limitations, but sort of like where that is now for me, especially fatigue wise. And I think especially people who have chronic illnesses that aren't quite as visible, like I don't have to use any sort of mobility aids right now. And so I think that's one of those things where people don't see me as having anything, quote, wrong with me. And so then, you know, to have to be like, I can't do this many things or I can't have the energy level that some people have in this industry where people expect a fitness professional to be like, oh, my God, guys, let's go like really high all the time. I literally cannot do that because I always flat on my ass the next day. <laughs> so really trying to manage my energy, manage. You're in a really unique industry for someone with chronic illness. Did you come out of the chronic illness closet? How did you yeah. decide to be so open? And did that all work out for you with being so open? Yeah. Just like, I guess, another side. So I said that I have a wife. And so that was actually a huge thing. So for a long time, when I was training on my clients, I actually didn't tell people that her and I were together. And even though we were for a long time. And so I kind of had to go through this process initially of being like, okay, we already married. I have to like come out to my clients. Which is also weird because like, it, it's not just like, oh, I'm going on a date with somebody. It, it felt like I'm telling you about this human that you know, that you I guess probably think is my friend, that we are actually together and getting married. So, uh, you know, like that was kind of a process within itself. And I feel like when I was diagnosed with MS, I was very much, I don't want that. Especially if anybody's going to work with me, I want them to know all the things about me up front where I don't want to feel like I'm playing a game. I don't want to feel like any of this is not real. So if you want to work with me, I want you to work with me and not just like an aspect of me. And so I think that's a really huge thing because I definitely had that with MS where I was like, are people not going to feel safe working with me? So I think that was all of it where I was like, yeah, I want all these things right up front. Yeah, I'm in the LGBT community. I have MS. which is one of those things where you're like, I just want you all to know right off the bat so that you don't come in and you're like, oh. So yeah, that was super important to me. So how did that go with your clients? How did they react to you having a chronic illness? I think with the people that I was currently training, it worked out pretty well. I do tend to train a lot of, I would say, like middle to older people. I have a client with NMO or I have other clients who have other, I guess, issues as well. So I think some of them did actually feel really, I don't want to use the word encourage. That's not a word. Like camaraderie, I guess, kind of within that. Some of them definitely then became very pity as which I think a lot of us experience and that feels gross. But then I definitely have an asset that people who just try to ignore it and anything that I would say, they would just quickly try to divert. And you're like, well, this feels weird too. It's a huge part of who I am. And so ignoring that is weird. Otherwise, for the most part, I think that the people were okay. I guess if they're not and they stopped training, they at least didn't tell me that was what I think. So that's at least a narrative I'm going to choose to have right now is that people were okay. <laughs> love the idea of choosing your narrative because yeah. most of them will never know exactly no. what the thing was. So yeah. just choose the narrative that's the best for your mental exactly. health. Exactly. Exactly. I'm all here for denial. Yes, I agree. Well, I think, again, like the website, that was a huge part of that, where if you see my website and you don't like this, bye. So I don't even have to meet with you. I don't even have to get to this initial because you know who I am right up front. I did that too. When I ran a photography studio for 10 years and the last two years I was so sick and I was having mm -hmm. to shoot from my wheelchair mm -hmm. and I redid my whole website once I decided to come out of the chronic illness closet yeah, and just set the expectations immediately. Exactly. Which is a big discussion we have here on Invisible Not Broke. And we talk to a lot mm -hmm. of people about how do you bring this up with new people? Mm -hmm. We have full talks about dating. When do you discuss this in dating? And 
I don't know. I kind of go with your idea of just all of it out there at once. It's just too exhausting to wonder. It's all just too much to guess, at least for me. Well, and I think too, like what that does to like the mental state, you know, I mean, honestly, I feel like most of the time, a lot of my MS players that I have are so stress related. I can sense that so much. I'm in therapy and I'm processing things and it's like, oh my God, I can't move. I feel like that sometimes weighs on me more than a lot of other things do. So if I'm trying to play this guessing game of how much I tell you, the amount of energy that I'm putting into that right now is way too much. It's not worth it. If you're not cool with that, then bye. I feel like I'm the worst liar. I do not have the mental bandwidth to figure out what I tell people. So it's just going to be the truth. That's what my wife always says. There's some things that I'm like, what if we just keep this? And she's like, I just can't lie. I'll forget. But again, like with hers and my relationship, initially when I told my mom, it just went super terribly. And so that's why for a while I didn't talk about it. Within that process, I was lying. I just always thought I didn't tell the truth. I was like, I'm not straight up lying. But it, it just became exhausting. It felt like I was always showing up inauthentically, where it was, I'm not engaged with you because I'm hearing about your story. I have my own personal experience, but I'm just ignoring it all. That just felt really fake and really inauthentic. I very hugely relay that to the correlation of when my MS symptoms really started happening. I think it's just like that huge mind game and it's the stress and not being who you are and trauma and all these things that it's like, yeah, no more. I don't want to do that anymore. I love what you're bringing up about that inauthentic because if you're not showing up in anything as you are, then Mm -hmm. everything you're building from that is going to be on some real shaky legs. Exactly. So you talked about the incredible barrage of information when you found out what you had. And it feels like a scary place because I don't feel like a lot of doctors understand how to introduce us to sick world. And the internet is sort of like a fire hose. Oh my gosh. A little bit of everything all at once. (laughs) Yes. How were you able to find good information about Mm -hmm. your disorder so you could even begin to think about how to move into your life forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely didn't for a while, which I think probably is a lot of us. I had not, I hadn't even met my neurologist and I got a call from him and their office and was like, hey, um, yeah, so Dr. Luca wants you to know that this looks like MS. So he was curious if you want to do oral steroids or IV steroids. That was the initial conversation that I had about it. And I was driving, remember exactly where I was. And I was like, What? I don't even know what this means. I don't want any of these things. I don't know why I need to take these things. It was the worst way to try to tell somebody that you have a disease and what to do with it. Yeah, no empathy. And I was like, I know that in your office, you're just doing this every single day. So you're not seeing this from a human perspective, but oh my God, that's terrible. And I actually chose to do just a side note, oral steroids. And my wife and I went to Walt Disney World literally five days after that. And I had to take them. And so I had to do 20 pills a day and we were sitting in Epcot and I remember she was like, okay, I'm just going to dump them out. You just start because there's so many pills. She's like, don't puke them up. Here we go. So I was just like throwing back like 20 steroid pills in the world showcase. But otherwise, honestly, it was a huge emotional journey, right? Yeah, you get that. You're like, I already feel like shit. I don't know what this feels like because people don't tell you. They were like, okay, yeah, you just did brain over right now. We're also going to do an MRI of your spine and of your neck. And then we're going to schedule a lumbar puncture. And then you have to get all these vials of blood. It's just overwhelming. I'm kind of terrified of needles. And at that time, I worked for myself. I was on my own insurance. I was like, holy shit, this is like $10,000. I remember talking to my neurologist like, okay, I can't afford all this right now. Like, What would be a priority out of these tests? And he was like, we need all of them. There's so little empathy within that process. And then that same year, we were getting married and that was a hot mess. I don't know exactly where I found really good information. I feel like I was in such freeze mode that I became obsessed with, okay, well, I just can't do anything that's inflammatory. So I'm not going to eat any inflammatory foods, which it created so much more stress and probably inflammation because I was like, I have to go to bed all the time because everybody's like, you have to 
be super rigid with everything. That didn't last very long, but for a little while, perfectionist control self came in. I was like, I can do this. I can control this. I definitely had to learn though to actually to stay off of a lot of blogs because you get both sides, right? You get the side of people who are like, I cured my disease. And then you get the other side of people who are just like, everything about my life sucks. And that was not a good place for me to be either at that time, which I understand that needs to be a space for a lot of people. There was so much that you said that I was like, oh, that's a solar plexus hit. It's yeah. the control part. And <laughs> that idea of this figure out of all, if you just did this and I mm-hmm. bitch and whine and scream at the wellness industry. And I do yes. this with such vehemence mm-hmm. and rage because I'm susceptible to it. I am right, just right. the same person at two o'clock in the morning when I am crying and mm-hmm. there's no Western medicine answer that I'm like, yeah, coconut oil is the answer. <laughs> if I just oh, yeah. never oh. ate sugar again, we had this whole talk on our graveyard of supplements. We have a graveyard uh-huh. supplement section of all us. of these fucking expensive as hell yeah. supplements that It's not even like I got them off of blogs. Doctors. Doctors who are like, I don't know if this will work, but fuck knows. I don't know what to do. Exactly. And then with this little like twist of you won't be a good patient in my eyes if you don't try it. Yes. That was actually when I did first get diagnosed. I told my doctor, I don't know if I want to take meds. I feel like besides for this new thing right here, I feel relatively healthy. So this kind of freaks me out to take these meds that are probably fuck up your immune system, but it's fine. Just take it. Can we at least talk about it and why this is so scary? And that's just my new reality. Especially I feel like with something like a chronic illness where so often it's like, and bam, this is your new diagnosis. You know, this is a way that you're going to look at your life now. And it needs to be so much more gentle. We need to have this be a nicer process for a lot of us in our nervous system. We're talking about meds. Then if you want to take any meds, and when I first said that, he, you could definitely tell, was just shocked. And that's not really an option. But it was like, here's your options that you can take. And I recommend that you take these most extreme ones, of course, because they're the most effective. And my wife actually is a pharmacist, which is obviously very helpful. So she did all this research out on all of them and like brought it home. And she's like, all right, we're going to look at all of this for all these different medications, which I know I'm super lucky to have that. And she helped me decide. But yeah, it's insane. Like you said, though, where it's like, well, if you don't follow my directions, like then that doesn't count. You're not going to work with me. So you have no autonomy within that process. The power dynamic is so fucked. I have chronic pain. I have Ellis Danlos. I just live yeah. all the time every day mm-hmm. and trying to explain that, no, what the EDS group says that it doesn't hurt us is uh, a lie. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say that, but that's a fucking big lie. If you dislocate something, it hurts. I just dealt with the whole situation where I couldn't get my pain meds for four days and I have oh, never yeah. felt so scared in my life. I'm so helpless because the power dynamic was screwed. Right. If I need them and I say I need them, I am drunk seeking. If yeah. I am yeah. trying to call all the pharmacies to see who has my drugs, I am a drug seeker. It was the most terrifying experience. So I want to talk to you a little bit about down. we're here in the U.S. for all of our international listeners. So Bear with us and just be mm-hmm. really grateful that you have something that's as kind as socialized medicine. Whatever the problems yeah. are with it, I swear to you, they're not this bad. My cousin has MS and she was basically told that there's treatment for people who have money for MS. Yeah. So there's basically rich MS and there's poor MS. Yeah. And that what treatments you get are not based on how much you need them, but if you can afford them. And I'm wondering yeah. if that's your experience because you have the wonderful joy of being self-employed. That means a lot of things here in the U.S. So this is a weird thing it's in my mind. So yes, I was self-employed. So just like all my healthcare bills. And like, again, I was healthy. So I had a high deductible plan initially. So it was like, you know, we don't cover anything until you hit your out-of-pocket max, which my out-of-pocket max was like, 
$10,500, which is obviously then that's what I ended up paying because it was like, okay, well, here's your MRI. So that's actually going to be you paying $3,000 out of pocket. And then here's your other MRI and that, you know, whatever. So there's that. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Your MRI was like $3,000. I guess. Yeah. Is that really cheap? I had three of them though. So then it became For what? $15,000. Why? For your brain? Or what was that? Okay. Just a real quick thing. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Us, if you are not aware in the United States, it's even in the same city will charge vastly different amounts for the same procedures. And yeah. you cannot find out until after you've yes. got them done. You can call and ask, but good luck finding the answer. They just did a thing here in San Francisco where someone went in to one hospital for a mm. broken arm and it was $10,000 for that. And then they found out through like friends who knew what was what at other hospitals and it would have only been $2,000. So we don't know when we go into a hospital, it's going to cost. My last visit was for a suspected appendicitis. Uh It was six hours in the hospital, no medication. I had one IV drip Mm -hmm. and I had the scan to see if it was appendicitis. They charged us $8,000. That is not. And that was with insurance. That's with the insurance. Yeah. That's what people always say, right? Is like in no other setting do you ever do that. Like you don't get your car and they're like, man, this is the car that you need with these things in it. Like, cool thing. So then you just drive home and then later you just get a bill for 40 grand. That's not how that works. Like you go in, you know what the price is and you figure out what you can do with that. Yeah. And then they won't possibly tell you like, there's this thing that we didn't know because I didn't have an appendicitis. It was a different issue. Mm -hmm. They said they wouldn't cover the MRI because that was medically Uh, necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I got my lumbar puncture, you know, that was a few thousand dollars. And I ended up having the CSF leak. I did all the things. It was literally awful. I was puking all over the floor. So it's a cerebrospinal fluid leak. So when they pull it out of your spine, it basically, I guess it doesn't like close well, right? So it's like leaking. So they always tell you to try to prevent it, that you need a life flat for, I don't even remember how long, a while. But then after that, you should be good to go. And so I think you're good. So I did that. And they also said, make sure you're hydrated, drink caffeine. I guess that can help because you can get a little headache. But if you're standing up and it doesn't heal all the way, then your body, I don't really understand it. We don't have like the cerebrospinal fluid. There's like not enough. So you end up just getting really, really bad headaches. It was so bad that like I was just like puking like constantly. So like over 24 hours, like calling my doctor, they were like, well, just drink some caffeine. Have you tried that? And it was like, yes, I yes, like it was awful. But so I went and I had to do what they call a blood patch. So that's where they draw your blood and then they inject it into your back, basically to lung it up. And then they gave me IVs also because I was so dehydrated. But then that in and of itself was like a couple thousand dollars. And so, yeah, you're like, okay, well, I had this procedure, but then I had to go do it again and pay. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. Um, but I was thinking, oh, with meds. Okay, so I take actually Capoxo, which is like the oldest medication that they've had for MS. It's actually the first med they ever had and came out in the 90s. And it's very expensive, but I don't understand anything about medicines, even being married to a pharmacist. But they have drug cards for them, right? So the drug card actually pays for a lot of it. But if I didn't have that, it would cost me 6000 a month. But like with MS, I feel like you guys almost have double-edged sword. I feel like there's almost a fire hose of things that maybe could work. Things yes. that are being tested, things that are an idea. Yeah, thing all the way to goop sort of stuff where it's like, sure, yeah. use a jade egg. That'll be fine. Yeah. All the way to we have these vitamin infusions uh-huh. that maybe could work, but obviously yeah. are not covered. Are you right. saying that like some people are offered more experimental things if they can afford mm-hmm. it? A lot of like the celebrities that are the ones that are going and getting the stem cell research done. And some other people can too, but I just think obviously if you have money, then it can obviously be very helpful because most of it's not in the U.S. 
right? So you have to travel elsewhere also to get this done. I actually remember when I first got diagnosed, I brought that up to my neurologist, like, hey, is this a thing that I could look into? And he was like, honestly, you're not bad enough to qualify. So like, that's also dumb too, where you're like, okay, so I just basically have to let my disease progress enough so that I'm disabled enough. Like, what is enough qualifying? <laughs> I just like, that's super helpful and encouraging. <laughs> but you bring up a great question, which is the enough. I waited for someone in a white coat with a stethoscope to tell mm-hmm. me when I was sick enough. And it left me not getting the mobility aid help that I really needed for a decade that I kept Mm -hmm. going, no, someone will obviously say something to me. Someone will tell me when it's time to quit my job. Someone will absolutely tell me when I've had enough. I couldn't possibly make that call. Yeah. How do you navigate that so that you're the one Mm -hmm. who's calling enough? Oh, gosh. I think that's a journey. There's a lot of therapy going on in there. Honestly, I always say too, so I was raised in the church. And so I think that my innate ability to listen to myself, my own intuition is complete garbage. (laughs) I am so bad at it because of that. I mean, so there's other reasons too, but yeah, I think that for so long, it was like, you hear things and you're like, it's not me. And can I trust myself? Or is there some other interplay going on? I mean, so I'm terrible at trusting myself. I feel like that is what I work on therapy constantly. It is like, I want to be able to listen to and trust myself better. One thing I'm really leaning into is being okay with what I need. It's hard not to play the comparison game, but I'd be like, okay, well, these other people can do this, or I used to be able to do this, even if it was unsustainable. And so really, really trying to lean into the fact that if I can't, I just can't. And it obviously sucks because in our society, the excitations are that we always produce and that we always do all the things. And so that's kind of the journey that I'm on right now is leaning into how can I do less? And what does that look like? It's not easy, obviously, <laughs> especially in the fitness sphere. I always am trying to find my space within fitness because I love fitness. It's so good for your brain. It's so great at creating neuroplasticity. But I always say that so many things, social media, I would say aesthetics of hijack the fitness industry, where it's like, just show up and be lean. And I'm like, there's so many other things. It's always just telling us to be less, right? Like you're not good enough. So come do this, where I just feel like it's so empowering. And so I think even the do less, but do less even within your workouts too. Find things that give you joy within your movement. Again, I'm not great at listening to myself within that. That is the journey that I am for sure on. Yeah. I mean, since I live in the United States and I cannot afford therapy, I'm basically mm-hmm. looking to my cat as my life coach. And I'm not even kidding about it. But I mean, your like, cat's probably a decent coach, at least. But she is a pretty good coach. We kind of their dog a lot. I was just say, where sometimes, like, I have that feeling, right? Of like, I need to do all the things because, again, I used to always do all the things. And then sometimes I watch him and I'm like, oh, wait, he's fine. He's literally fine, not ever leaving the house, doing the same thing every single day, being excited to eat breakfast. I think that. They're great coaches to be like, okay, yeah, like what's the purpose of life? It's not to do all the things. <laughs> and that was one of my favorite things about having kids was my mm-hmm. kids were such incredible little life coaches. Um, you got to see the world new. My 15 year old is like one of my favorite humans to hang with. And yeah. we started because I was a sick mom. We mm-hmm. started with like just curling up in bed. So when I was having my flare days, mm-hmm. we had our darling slug days where we oh, just snuggled that. up in bed and we'd watch Jane Austen movies and we'd draw <laughs> and Pinterest yeah. and all of that. So you were talking about like the aesthetics of this and there is such a long history of the aesthetics of the mm-hmm. sick woman. I mean, mm-hmm. my God, tuberculosis chic was a thing. Yeah. God's <laughs> sake. And being in the fitness industry, you get all of the hashtag inspiration. Yeah. And then you also have all of the sick influencers, the mm-hmm. 
And there's definitely a place for that, but there's also the toxic positivity sick yes. influencers as you're just dead smack in the center of all those spaces. Yeah, I have to always laugh too. And sometimes I'm like, I was my ADHD or what, but I always feel like I don't ever fit into anything. Like, is it all the time where it was like, even I feel like growing up where I was in orchestra and I was friends with theater kids, but I was also in sports and Spanish club. And I was always in all the things. I never fit into one group. And I find myself in that like no other mother when it comes to the fitness sphere, because I always feel like if I like one thing, then I'm against all the other things. And I'm like, that's not how this is. Like all the other sick girls. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really hard. And like, you know, like you talk about the body positivity, like that can be a hard space too, because I do feel that way. But when I'm not a larger bodied human. And so I know that a lot of people who are don't always feel seen or trust people who aren't and so that's a sphere that I tread lightly into but then there's this other sphere that's like oh to be healthy you have to look like this or you need to have six-pack abs and count your macronutrients every day and I'll say that being in the fitness industry in the position that I am I did used to struggle with that a lot because I was like will people want to trade with me if I don't look the most jacked ever if you're not coming in and being like oh yeah like she clearly is the strongest person in the world and the fastest person in the world. So therefore I want to train with her where it was like, can I not be that and then still be good at what I do? Then I think too, there's just so many like nuances within all of that. That's what I say too. Like I like being strong, but I also know that might be that's not everybody's thing. So there's a piece of me. I'd like, do I kind of find that niche? I used to run some, but I actually really don't like running. It feels terrible on my body. So where do I go within all of this? And everybody too is like, now I've made this my whole life. Like it's all I care about is fitness and working out. And you're like, okay, yes. But also I want this to be a part of my life where it's a balance. And I also want to go eat queso. It is hard, I think, to find that space. I think that's always my thing. And I try to honestly have a lot of blinders on with social media. I really only use it because it's good to at least have some sort of presence. I kind of started my social media initially as I'm just going to document what this looks like with MS. And then that kind of changed because I put too much pressure on myself to create what I was posting about. I was like, oh, is this good enough? What do I post? So then I just stopped posting for a while. Then I just posted pictures of my dog. Then it just kind of went all over the place. Um, but now I've just realized like it doesn't really matter. I feel like at the end of the day, like I'm just going to post something if I want to. It doesn't have to follow a certain rhythm. It doesn't have to be like, here's my new series that I'm going to be posting about. I guess to say that I'm all over the place always. <laughs> so. <laughs> I try to find myself within that middle sphere as best as I can. It just seems crazy to me that social media turned all of us into possible celebrities. Right. And without a PR team. There's no PR team to help us figure out how to brand ourselves. And now you have 13-year-olds trying to brand themselves when they haven't figured out who they are yet. It all seems insane to me. And I'm going to bring up a topic. I've had this conversation with a few other people who have been raised in religious atmospheres mm-hmm. and have chronic illness and how that became a real lightning rod point for them as far as how their community treated them, whether it was their fault or not for not being good, whether there was an embrace or a pray it away situation. Around the time that I got diagnosed with MS, I was already starting to deconstruct from my faith. So... I don't think that I really had as much of that experience then. I used to be really, really involved, though. I was like, I'm going to be a youth pastor. I actually, I got my major in exercise science when I graduated from school, but I actually minored in biblical studies. So again, I was not not invested by any means. I was actually kind of laughed. I'm not going to make this a religious thing that when I got my minor in biblical studies, though, that's actually what helped me start deconstructing my faith. And in part, because like 
the first class I took was women in the Bible. And the whole perspective was thinking about who wrote this Bible, right? It's a bunch of men, it's a bunch of male perspectives. So like, what if we start looking at it from this different perspective or whatever? It just flipped everything on its head. My parents are still very much involved in their church. And so I definitely got a lot of letters from their friends. Like, we're praying for you, which is nice for sure. Nobody actually would shame me, which gave for them. I, it's really disgusting to think that maybe other people were having that experience, I can imagine. I've absolutely had strangers come up and pray over my life. Oh, no, 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 no. Which is an insane proposition oh, to me no. in all aspects. First off, I am not a very social person. Mm-hmm. I, I like talking one-on-one. And I had a toddler with me at the oh, time. It no. was just a super freaky experience. But oh. I've talked to people where it's this idea of God never gives you more than you can handle. And it's like, oh, yeah. I, I, I can handle. I'm done. I, no more. <laughs> yeah. We're good. Yeah. Or it's yes. like. You did something that deserves this, or you're supposed to learn something from this. Mm-hmm. And from sure, there are moments in my life I'm good with. Yeah, I can learn something from this. But there's also mm-hmm. moments I want to have a temper tantrum about it, One, too. 100%. Yeah. It's just super gaslighting. But I think in our society, none of us know how to deal with bad news. I don't think we're taught that. So it's like, how can I spin this quickly? Because I feel uncomfortable with your potential thing. So instead, I'm just going to quickly make it positive. <laughs> and this is where like the religion and the wellness industry and not yes. all religion. I'm no, yeah. discussing all religion sure, okay, sure. that makes you get through the day. Cheers. Yes. It's a lot yes, of yes, nice yes. to other people. But where the toxic religious stuff and the mm-hmm. toxic wellness stuff. That is something I actually, so more than the religion that within myself, I had to really try to pull apart, especially actually in therapy, was the wellness aspect of MS. Because mm. it's some of the stuff I went down that rabbit hole of, right? Where it was like, you see people, it's like, okay, I cured myself with my diet. So I cut out all the things, right? You cut out gluten and dairy and eggs and sugar and alcohol and all of this. And then I take all these supplements and I do my UV lights 50 times a day. I do hot therapy. I do cold therapy. I, I'm in the sun for 10 minutes a day, twice a day. Once you start doing it, it never ends. I got rid of every chemical I could ever get rid of. And it's like, yes, in theory, I'm sure a lot of these things actually are really great and they could be helpful. But then I did have that when I would go to therapy. I was like, I do feel like I now I have this control. So if I have a relapse, it's my fault. It's like somehow... I didn't do enough. And I was actually really grateful the time my therapist that I had, she had had a kidney transplant. And I felt like she understood where she was like, I understand like being chronically ill and like what this feels like. And so we would really try to go through a lot of that together. But yeah, it's a gross place to be. And the control thing becomes such a big issue because mm-hmm. that's what a lot of us little creatures want is yeah. some sense of control or some sense that, of course, it couldn't get that bad. Something would step in. Right. And when you realize, yes. no, there yeah. is a place where where this is a bridge you cross by yourself. Yeah. That gets pretty intense. And there's not a lot of people who want to hear that. That's really isolating. And I think people aren't used to dealing with bad news, right? So they'll say something like, oh, yeah, well, I'm sure they're going to have a really great med coming out soon. And you're like, okay, <laughs> just keep hope. Yeah. Right. yeah. Like, okay, well, you look good at least. You're like, oh, okay, thanks. Oh, <laughs> that's why I said, thank you for complimenting my skin suit. I really <laughs> appreciate that one. You had a chaotic entry into chronic illness. What would you tell people to start with? If they had just heard, I have MS, which is what we get a lot. Mm-hmm. People will tend to find us on this podcast when they're, mm-hmm. they've been diagnosed with something and they'll find one of our interviews with someone. What, what do you want people to actually know where to start, how to tailspin without not being able to get out of the tailspin? If you can afford it, therapy. I think that's a great place to go because... 
There's so much information. I'd say tread very, very, very cautiously when you go into the social media world. Just tread very carefully on that for what your nervous system can handle. There's so many things. I think finding a community who fits what you need in the moment is not easy, but I think it's really, really helpful. Podcasts obviously are great. If you have friends, if you have family, if you have anybody it could be real with and be like, hey, I just need to be scared right now. Please do not put this like spin on it, you know, because that's just the reality is that it's fucking terrifying. But if we told anything that you have or anything that's super unknown, and also just to know that it's not your fucking fault, it's society's fault for fucking us up and not helping us out. There's a huge community of people, though, that are out here doing the thing. And I remember actually when I first did get diagnosed, I'm normal Disney World, and I'm feeling super emotional about all these things happening. But I remember seeing all of these people watching fireworks or doing thinking, so many people have to have things that I don't even know. People don't know that I have this experience I'm having right now. And so to almost like think about how many other people have experiences that I have no freaking clue that they're going through is like kind of unifying in a way. So I will be throwing the dynamite in the closet that we can all just come out a little bit more too. And I think that makes the whole thing less scary. I, I just heard telling my 15 year old who was like freaking out something. I was like, look, this is this is a pretty normal experience. Like mm-hmm. people just don't talk about it. Because she was like, why don't they just talk about Actually, it? It feels so much less off yeah. with chronic illness and all the other stuff we're dealing with. I think a lot of people want to be in hashtag inspiration. Yes. It yeah. feels good to have people look at you go, you're so inspiring. I mean, it right. feel good to me. I hate that. It makes me scream. Right. So please don't ever do that to me, anyone. But absolutely. Or I understand that. Like for a lot of people, yeah. we go to a place where we've worked our whole lives to get mm-hmm. somewhere and to be something. And then now we have to redefine all of that. It feels good to have someone looking up to us. But that's a long fall it's a down. It's a lot it to is carry. a lot to carry. And it's really hard to admit when it's not that mm-hmm. good anymore. Yeah. I think that's why, right? It's like somebody tells you that and you're like, okay, but then should I not feel like crap? Or if you told me that now, I feel like I'm almost not allowed to feel like crap. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, well, because you said I look good and you said whatever. But if I want to tell you that I'm really fatigued and I can't go to this event today. Like tonight, actually, I was supposed to go to a drag bingo with a friend. And I just text her and be like, I'm so fatigued. I had a little eyes off of my windshield wiper and I woke up this morning and I was like, I am so fatigued and sore. I almost can't get out of bed. Like, this is awful. And I was like, I really should not go to this drag bingo. Yes. You're making Nebraska sound really cool. And yes. I feel like I you might know. have misjudged Nebraska when I went years ago. So I always ask one question at the end. Yeah. What's your favorite purchase that you've made for under $100 that has mm-hmm. really helped you out right now for me? I just bought this sealy mattress cover and they do not sponsor me i just freaking love it especially in the winter <laughs> but it's a heater and it's a whole bed heater so oh my gosh, like, i love that it was 90 bucks and it's split because my husband does not have the same need for extreme heat that i do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he can set us for two and i can set mine for 10 and oh, marriage is safe truthfully mine is actually new with warmth also so I'm, I'm sensitive to like most temperatures hot or cold but the heat actually is less impactful on my body. It doesn't hurt me. Whereas when I'm cold, things don't work well. But there's always this commercials. And if you ever see it for the booties, it is amazing. It's like a sweatshirt, but it's like a blanket sweatshirt. So you wear it and it has a hood and it's fuzzy, but it goes down mid shin and it's huge. And so a lot of times in between clients, I'll just put that on and it's the best. There is something about hot tea and fuzzy warm yes. things yes. that... Things are really bad, but there are still fuzzy things and teeth and dogs and cats to snuggle. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit invisiblenotbroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
You can also support the show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our host, Monica, and Marty for a great conversation. This episode was edited by me, Alice Fan. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.